1: We actually teased today's topic on our previous episode of this might get uncomfortable. So for any regular listeners, you have been anticipating this. If you listen to the episode that came prior to this one, and it's a topic that has interestingly been coming up in, in much more potent and repetitive ways for me, I think over probably the last three to four months. And what I want to explore with you today, Whitney, and with you, dear listener, is regret. And before we get into the mechanics of regret and some interesting articles on how to overcome serious regret, I want to preface it by saying that, yeah, about three to four months ago, I started to have persistent Thoughts about the past, much more so than regular or usual, rather. I I don't necessarily historically find myself to be a person that overly ruminates on things that have happened before Whitney. You know, I don't spend a lot of time typically thinking about what I should have, could have done about something that happened in the past. I really do try to be as present as I possibly can. Of course, I'm not an avatar. I'm not present all the time. I hit my shin on the coffee table. I hit my leg on the side of the bed. I worry about the future. And more recently, I've just been really thinking about a lot of past situations that I haven't thought about in many, many years. And for some reason, this this dense concentration of the last three to four months has been really sitting there going, wow, I haven't thought about that thing, that person, that situation in, in years or even decades in some cases. But it hasn't just been reflecting on old relationships, partnerships, creative projects, situations. It's, it's really been a difficult thing for me because when those things come up, I find myself feeling sad with a lot of those situations, not necessarily thinking back on gratitude for that situation or gratitude for what had happened in the past, what's made me the person I am now. I I, I feel a consistent level of not just sadness, but regret. And I wanted to look up the definition of regret because I wanted to see if it somehow matched the emotional content of, of what i 've been feeling when I focus on regret, so the 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 dictionary definition of regret is to feel sad, repentant, or disappointed over something that has happened or been done, especially a loss or a missed opportunity it's pretty accurate, I would say to feel sad, repentant, or disappointed, and the sadness. I think has been, for me, at the core of this feeling of regret, focused around feeling like I've given up too quickly on certain things. That's really been the the central, I think, theme for me, Whitney, has been specifically looking at career opportunities that I pursued and gave up on, relationships that perhaps I potentially abandoned too quickly out of frustration or disappointment. I've just been thinking about, have I given up too easily on certain things and certain people in my life? And to not do this in a way to beat myself up or be punitive or or treat myself badly. I just think that it's like taking a good hard look on my tendency in the past to get fed up, frustrated, sad, disappointed, and then just throw my hands up and say, fuck it. I don't want to do this anymore. Now, I want to say there's absolutely nothing wrong with leaving a situation if you don't feel in alignment with it, leaving a relationship if you feel like it's no longer serving you or your heart's not in it anymore. I think there's a lot of rhetoric and I want to color what I'm about to say with there's so many memes and there's so many quotes that we see online of like, never give up you know, don't, don't abandon your dreams, keep going. And I think in some situations that can be very sage and accurate advice. I do think though, it's up to each one of us to realize when something has quote unquote run its course and it's time to leave a situation. I've also been reflecting on kind of the opposite of this, Whitney, where I've been in relationships and situations, jobs, romantic partnerships, where I've stayed way past the expiration date. Out of fear of hurting someone, out of fear of disappointing someone, out of fear of disappointing myself, like you're a fucking failure, Jason. Look, you failed again. You failed in another project. You failed in another relationship. So the flip side of leaving things too early is I've also looked at situations and thought, man, I stayed in that way too long, which can also lead to regret. Right? I I, I should have trusted my heart. I should have trusted my instinct and left that situation earlier. So regret is this very nuanced, tricky kind of thing that I've been sitting with. And before I get into some of these articles that I, I mentioned, Whitney, that I've been researching on on clinical psychologists have written some of these articles talking about how to get over serious regret, I want to pass the baton to you and, and ask what your relationship is with regret. Do you feel it? How often do you feel it? What kind of situations trigger it for you? And what does this bring up when we're talking about this subject?
0: Well, in this moment, I'm semi-regretting eating these energy bits because have they stained my teeth? Are my teeth kind of blue or yellow from the spirulina? Uh, nah, I no? mean you've
1: got you've got a couple, you've got bits. a couple blue bits, you've got a couple bits, but you know you're not looking like you uh, took a bite out of the Incredible Hulk. If that's what you're asking,
0: okay, that's good. I mean they're very tasty. These have really grown on me. Um. Little preview of what we do over at This Hits the Spot. I don't know if I'll talk about these there, but I was feeling really low energy and I had some packets that I can't remember who it was that gave it to me. It was either Michelle or Tony, our friends. One of them gave these to me and I've been really enjoying them. But the downside is A, they kind of get stuck in your teeth a little bit. And B, I feel, well, they definitely like, I'll like pick, (laughs) it's going to sound gross, but I'll like kind of pick them out of my teeth. And my nails get kind of blue from it. So it's a little, it's, I don't know. Maybe you're not supposed to chew them. Do you think maybe you're just supposed to swallow them?
1: Here's the deal. So I've had those before. Mm -hmm. And I had the same issue where they would just, because I have really big molars and I have deep pits in my molars. So things like that get really stuck in my teeth. So I actually just started swallowing them like supplements instead of chewing them. Oh,
0: yeah. It says right on the back, you can swallow or chew, but most prefer to swallow. Uh Aha. Although I find the crunch and the texture of them very satisfying. And I like the taste. So I don't think like swallowing them like a supplement would be as satisfying. So anyways, I don't actually regret it. It's just maybe not the wisest choice while on a podcast. But you know, that's how, it, that's how it goes sometimes. In a serious sense of regret, I I don't know that I have much regret. One thing that comes to mind, like when you were talking about the career side of things, Jason, sometimes I I do regret like you giving up on things too early. And that's really interesting. I mean, I think about this almost every single day and the pressure that I felt to Accomplish certain things. And there have been times over the years where I've just wondered, like, what if I'd stuck with something a little bit longer? What if I'd started something earlier? And that's actually taught me to not give up as early, to continue down the path of something, even if I don't feel like it's going to go very well. And like this podcast, for example, like you and I had no idea for some reason, this podcast is really simple and I feel very motivated. It it doesn't take a lot of energy. I was actually also thinking about this. There's a, a TikTok channel that talks about or supports specifically low energy content creators. And I think a lot about how I have low energy and that's led me to not creating or sticking with certain things because I tend to get energy from Spirulina. No. I, I tend to get energy from um like positive reinforcement. And if I don't have a lot of positive reinforcement or the right kind or a consistent amount of it, I tend to lose interest in things. And it's a little different with this podcast, but I think that's because it doesn't feel as high energy as creating video content does. But I bring that up because... There have been so many projects on, on YouTube, for example, that I just like stopped doing because I felt like, oh, no, not enough people care or it's not really cool or working. And then like a, some time would pass and other people would have a lot of success from the thing that I had done. And I would wonder, wow, what if I continue doing it now that it's becoming a trend? Specifically, when I started my What a Vegan Eats YouTube channel. That was back in 2011 or 12. I was. <laughs> it's really funny to think back on this because some of the videos were shot using what were they called? Like a flip cam. They were like those yes. little handheld cameras, um, which were really cool back then. Like 2008, they I think they came out around then, and it was like, oh my god, this is amazing. I which is also interesting because the iPhone came out in 2007. So maybe the flip cameras came out earlier, but maybe like in the beginning days of the iPhone, people just weren't really creating videos on there. Like I didn't use my iPhone to make videos until maybe 2010 or 11, but I was using that flip cam and I don't know if it was like a storage thing on the phone. Like I need to go back. I'm kind of curious, but anyways, I was using that old camera to record videos at like stores or restaurants and I was experimenting with taking photos of my food and people just like thought I was weird. Like they didn't understand why I was doing that. And I had this whole YouTube channel, which you can still go look up. It's called What a Vegan Eats. And it was just me like documenting the things that I ate. And obviously I have interest in it because this hits the spot is not that different, right? It's it's kind of a evolution of that. But I didn't keep up with it and off off and on I did. And I, I think the last video I made was like probably 2018 or 2019. But in the beginning, I didn't feel super motivated. And then there became this huge trend of people vlogging what they ate. Like huge. And it would and the trend what I eat in a day, I think still is is fairly popular. But th- that was not happening when I started that YouTube channel. So I felt like I was doing something weird and not cool, right? And then it became cool, but I had already like paused long enough and lost interest in it. And then I was like, "Oh my god! Like, what if I just kept making those videos? You know, maybe I would have been like so ahead of my time. And then they, by the time they caught on, I would have like had all this momentum." And that's happened a few times. I feel like there were some other type of trends that I just like didn't keep up with or platforms I kind of gave up on. I often wonder that about TikTok. And it's just kind of strange, but I also have this awareness now of why I stopped. And I, I think that's an important element when we think about regret. The hindsight is very different than how it feels in the moment when you're making the decision. And for me personally, I know that I want feedback, positive reinforcement in order to continue. And if I don't get it, it's really hard for me to push through that. Now, certainly I could push through it. It's not impossible. Certainly I could find other forms of motivation. But if that's my tendency then I can't really regret not pushing through, if that makes sense, because I made a decision based on what felt important for me at the time. And right now, for example, I could easily regret not not keeping up with my momentum on TikTok. I think I had my video go viral in January or February of this year, but I lost the motivation um because it became really exhausting and here we are in August and I'm still exhausted even at the thought of making content and I've thought a lot about like whether or not I should push through it like how can I regain that energy how can I feel more motivated to do something despite being low energy and I don't know if that's really fair to me or right for me in the long run you know it's like you're bringing up relationships. and If in the moment you really felt like y- you shouldn't be in that relationship, you should end that relationship, you were probably right. And maybe your perspective or the circumstances changed afterwards. But if you didn't have that information at the time, then it's not that you made the wrong decision at the time. It's just that you weren't in the same headspace that you are in today looking back on it. So... I think it's really important for us to honor the fact that we're doing the best that we can with the information that we have, with the energy that we have, with the place that we're at in so many different, just all the factors that come together for us to make a decision, I suppose. And it's kind of like that sliding glass moment of what if I had made a different decision, but we'll never know will never be able to know. So I guess I don't sit with a lot of regret or allow it to linger for too much. I just try to remember why I decided on something and then also see if I can learn some sort of lesson. Like if there's like a true regret, like a a regret that seems very valid, you know, like I did something at the time I made a mistake or I made a very conscious decision to do something that hurt me or someone else. I could see why there might be some regret there because I was more aware of it in in like maybe I quote, should have known better. But then again, like that's even kind of weird to say. Like, what, what do you mean you should have known better? And I think part of the reason that phrase in particular bothers me is because I feel like there's a lot of shame in that and I'm really sensitive to shame and the older I get, the more confident I become. And the more that I work through all these old mentalities, I feel like it's shame is just does not serve us whatsoever. I was raised with a lot of shame. Shame was used as a tact, a parenting tactic. And I think maybe even a a schooling tactic, right? Like when I look back over things my parents or people around me, my teachers said to me, any authority figure, there was a lot of shame. And it's kind of disturbing because it didn't work. It actually just made me feel worse about myself. Like it did not serve the good that they intended on. Maybe there was a short term impact. I had this flashback to some small thing that happened with a babysitter and It was, we were at like the aquarium or something like that. I don't know how old I was. I'm fairly certain my sister was there. So I must have been at least like six to eight years old, maybe 10. And I think that the babysitter and her boyfriend were there and they said, if I behaved, I could have ice cream. If I was like nice to my sister and I did something, which I don't recall what it was, but I do remember it was outside. And we were like around a fountain or something. And I did something, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And I think it was to my sister and it made her upset. And then they they shamed me and told me I couldn't have ice cream. And I remember being a little kid being like, well, but why can't I have the ice cream? You know? And it's like that classic punishing technique. But my heart goes out to this small little kid who, like, didn't really understand consequences. And I think some people think those are important learning lessons, but the fact that like this random memory got triggered in my head recently, I wonder like, did those consequences actually serve me or they just cause this like lingering shame and hurt within me? You know, like was it really worth it for me to not get the ice cream that day? You know, I don't know. I've done a lot of babysitting, even though I'm not a parent. And like, I understand the tactic of trying to like reward or punish. But then, like, sometimes when I think about my own self as a child, I'm like, ugh. Now, I mean, maybe it all makes sense now. Maybe that's why I give up if I don't get rewards. Maybe I'm like, oh, no reward here. I'm going to pivot and make a different decision. And, like, does that cause long-term negative effects in us? Does that limit our abilities to stick with something or make the, you know, not right decisions, but, like, make stronger decisions or something because we become so conditioned to fear punishment, which is, you know, a challenge for me, so... I try to avoid punishment and seek out rewards, but does that cause me to not like stick with something long enough to really experience the fullness
1: of it? It really brings up kind of this reward versus punishment sort of binary framework. Obviously, there's a lot of nuance here psychologically for each one of us, but I think what you're talking about, Whitney, if I really go back into these feelings of regret, you talked about shame. And I think shame is definitely an intertwined part of this conversation. But if I look at the mechanics of regret for me as I break it down, I think a big part of it is, oh, had I, had I stuck with the person or the thing or the project or the band or the job longer... Maybe I'd have more rewards now. Maybe I'd be happier. Maybe I'd be wealthier. Maybe my stock portfolio would look better. Maybe instead of renting, I'd own my home right now. I'd have a nicer car. I wouldn't be struggling as much financially. Etc. etc. I think I think a, a really central component for me at least of this regret conversation is if I look back, say, there are like three situations that come to mind. Uh, Business wise, for me, that at the time I felt like I deserved more money and I said no to certain things because I was confident that I could sort of force my hand or play my chip and walk away and be like, Yeah, you know what? I don't want your money. Here's what I want. Oh, we can't pay you that much. And it was like, I got to walk away from that thing. But now reflecting back, you know, in some cases, like the the money was actually good, and at that time, I might have been maybe a little too much in my ego. Right? It's a, it's a tricky thing because when we when we talk about like valuing ourselves, it's a tricky part of this conversation because it's like, oh no, no no, that's not valuing me. But in in these certain instances, I'd look back, and I think part of the regret is had I said yes to those things in retrospect, I might be in a different financial abundant situation now. Had I said yes. That's my whole thing. So I think the regret part for me is like, oh, I might be in a quote, better life situation if I'd made a different decision.
0: When you're saying that it triggered another memory of mine, because I was sitting here wondering like what you regret, (laughs) like specifically which business experiences you were talking about, and one that came to mind that I do regret actually. So it's bringing up more memories the more we discuss this. is when you and I turned down going on the vegan cruise the second time. Remember that? Because for for um, context, there was a cruise. I mean, I'm actually curious if, if anyone listening to the show was on that cruise because we met some amazing people that were part of our social media life for years to come. And it was a fabulous time. I mean... Basically, they invited me and Jason, uh, Chris and John from The Vegan Zombie, Isa, the cookbook author Miyoko was there, like a really amazing group. I think that was the first time they did it. We got to go on this really cool cruise that that we were basically in a group of vegans and it was on Holland America and there was like 1200 people and maybe like 50 to 100 of us were vegan and it was awesome and in exchange for the cruise Jason and I had to give some presentations and then also participate and we didn't get paid for it but we got the entire experience covered and i think even like our flights out there like what they gave us in exchange was awesome and we had an amazing time but they invi- when they invited us back for the next cruise which was really an honor um Jason and I both felt like we should be compensated because we had to take like 10 days off from our lives to go on a week long cruise plus travel. We gave multiple presentations and we were expected to be part of like all the activities. So while it sounds like it was a great exchange in terms of us having this free vacation, it wasn't really a vacation. We were working every day. We had to pay the expenses of pet sitters and all the other stuff that was going on. And Jason and I both thought, like, you know what, we should we should ask them if if they'll compensate us as well. And they said no. And at the time, it was like, ah, eh, whatever. To your point, Jason, like, I don't care. But I don't know if it was that next cruise or the one following it, which I know at least that Chris and John from the Vegan Zombie went on, and I think Miyoko went as well. So it was like some of the core people. They went to Alaska. And man, do I regret not being part of that cruise because now I'm like, really want to go to Alaska. At the time I was like, eh, Alaska, whatever. But now I'm like, I cannot believe that I passed up the opportunity to go on a free cruise to Alaska. But it's a, you know, a perfect example of what I said earlier, Jason. And I'm curious, like, how much of you can agree with this despite the fact that you have some financial regrets. Part of me is also like, hey, like at the time it did not feel honoring to me or the others, you know, like I felt like it it wasn't quite being taken advantage of, but I, I know the value. Like Miyoko, she she was like, I mean, she's just an insane person. Now, I think it's also worth noting, Jason, that like Miyoka was just getting started with her cheeses at that time. And now look at her, like her company is worth a lot of money. It's not directly related to the cruise, but it's like you can see the trajectory of her career from them. In terms of the vegan zombie, I actually don't quite know how they're doing these days, but I think they also have a podcast or Chris has a podcast and they're still doing their thing on social media and YouTube, and all of that. So I don't know. It's like There's part of me that's glad that, that you and I set those boundaries, Jason, because I think energetically, while I may regret not being part of that cruise, I also know that I could, if I wanted to, save up and go on that same cruise myself paying out of pocket. And while it's not the same as free, I also would actually get to enjoy a full vacation. So maybe that would be a better choice for me. And I also know that that cruise did did not make or break my career, you know, and Miyoko's success has little, if anything, to do with that cruise, you know, I think Miyoko went on the cruise to enjoy herself, but it didn't, it's not like a huge career mistake. It was just like, oh, it would have been fun to go to Alaska, if that makes sense. And I think with you, Jason, the opposite could have been true too because i've looked back at some of the things i've said yes to and they didn't really do anything except give me some money that like is already gone now like there's a few companies i've worked with on brand deals one in particular was paid me a, a solid amount of money but it was such a pain in the ass to to work on that campaign and it was just a paycheck that I didn't even feel like it was worth the amount of frustration that I had during the experience. And it did nothing for my career. You know, I've had so many examples of that too, Jason, of taking less than I felt like I deserved and then feeling like I don't know if it was worth it. Don't, I mean, I know you have too, haven't you? Like to give yourself the contrast when you're thinking about regret in terms of your business, I feel like you have just as many times where you said yes to something and like felt a little taken advantage of or something along those lines. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. I would agree. And I think if I give myself love and like part of this is, I think, if I may in some ways, reframing the past to be kinder to ourselves, not to lie to ourselves, not to engage in some sort of fantastical illusion. But it's it's something that I remember I, I first practiced um, when I went to the School for the Work with Byron Katie. We've mentioned Byron Katie on the podcast before, and I had such a wonderful experience doing her School for the Work. And in that experience, it was my first time practicing reframing the past, Whitney. And I think when we talk about regret and we're talking about specifically what you brought up, the number of times that we have said yes to things that maybe on an intuitive level, there was a part of us that was like, you really shouldn't take this. But for me, at least fear and desperation were stronger at that point than intuition. It was like, you need to pay the rent, look at all your bills, look at all your debt, you're running your business on your own, the fuck are you going to do? So to, to be kind to myself. And not to beat myself up over decisions like that, right? An unkind way would be to look back on a situation or situations like that and go, uh, dude, what a fucking asshole you were. You made decisions out of fear and desperation. What an asshole. How could you do that? Not very kind. Or to reframe it on a pragmatic level, you could say, well, if you look at making an adult responsible decision you had bills to pay, you had debt, you had rent, you had pets, et cetera, et cetera. To be a responsible human being in the mode of chop wood, carry water, okay? Sometimes you just need to say yes to things to put food on the table and keep the roof over the head on a pragmatic level. But on, on a deeper you know, level with this whole reframing conversation, I've talked about this in previous episodes of one of the, the deepest traumas that i continue to work through was the feelings of being abandoned and abused by my father, right? So a reframe to that, because part of part of my work has been feeling like I'm never good enough, right? Because my dad left and abandoned me. And had I, quote, been good enough as a kid, he wouldn't have left. I know logically that is not true, but as a child, that was the framework I created, right? So a reframe around something like that was- When I was practicing this, like, you were a shitty kid. That's why dad left. Wow, that's really painful. That's a painful thing to carry through one's life. Or a more accurate and truthful reframe would be, my father didn't really want to be a father. True. He didn't have the skills emotionally to raise a child or be a responsible father because he was dealing with his own drug and alcohol addictions, his own emotional demons. So he left. That's a much kinder more accurate framing of the past than oh dad left cuz you you know you were a shitty child or whatever i believed right so i think when it comes to regret i have found whitney especially in these recent 3 to 4 months of ruminating on these situations being really kind to myself and saying you did the best you could in the moment with what you had you did the best you could with your emotional intelligence your emotional maturity Yes. Did you make some decisions out of fear? I, I absolutely have. I've made many decisions out of fear. I've made many decisions out of desperation. And I'm trying to forgive myself for the decisions I made when I was afraid and desperate. Like I, that, That's part of my big work right now, with is looking at these situations and giving myself more love and saying, yeah, okay, you can acknowledge you made these out of fear and desperation. Can you love and forgive yourself even in spite of that? And you know, speaking of techniques, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I was looking for some articles from um, licensed psychotherapists on dealing with regret. I found a really great article uh, by Alice Boyes, who is a practicing psychotherapist on psychology today. It's called Five Tips for Coping with Regret. And I wanted to also dive into another article that I think is even better than this one called How to Overcome Serious Regrets. It's on WikiHow. And it was authored by a professional counselor named Trudy Griffin. And it's from earlier this year, uh, March 25th, 2021. And it really goes into the mechanics of of understanding regret and blaming ourselves, right? Now, this is an interesting thing because it talks about the difference, Whitney, between productive and unproductive regret. This is interesting. It says productive regret can help you learn to change your behavior for the future. Unproductive regret, where you completely blame and self-immolate, can create chronic stress and emotional pain, which can lead to health problems. So I didn't know. I, didn't, I, I wasn't even aware that productive regret was even a thing. That kind of hits me in a weird way when I read about productive regret, because I wonder if that can help, quote, change our behavior for future decisions. How does that hit you? Like when you hear the word productive regret, do you feel like that's a thing for you? Because that's my first time actually like reading that phrase. I don't know. I'm kind of scratching my head a little a little bit over that one.
0: Me too. But I guess it feels similar to like beneficial regret, I suppose, where it's like, okay, sometimes regretting something helps us make different decisions in the future. and But that's a huge part of the psychology of our society. Like, I feel like that's just kind of been drilled into us. Like, sometimes you have to learn the hard way. But I just don't, again, I don't know if that's true. I don't know. It's a big question mark for me.
1: On the one hand, you know, I think I think pain and suffering can be really wonderful teachers in our lives. If I look at a lot of painful situations or the suffering that I have gone through, they're great teachers. I don't know about positive regret. I, I, I really want to do a little more research on this. Um, the second tip is identify the core of the feelings of regret. This can be different from person to person, but feelings of regret include sadness, loss, remorse, anger, shame, and anxiety. Um, you may think about what you said or did or acted, or you may think about what you would wish you had done differently to change your current situation. Again, kind of going back to what I said, is sometimes my feelings of regret are like, oh, if I had just made a different decision, my current life situation would be different and, quote, better. Um, She says, constant rethinking and regretting can cause massive anxiety. Relatable. This may lead to worrying or second-guessing future decisions out of fear of regretting those. That's interesting. Because I feel like if, if we ruminate on regret too much, We may stop trusting ourselves in future decision making, which I can 100% relate to, especially in the context of uh, romantic relationships of, oh, you really thought you knew that person or you really thought that you could trust your heart and look, it ended up fucking going to hell. How are you going to be able to trust your decisions on a person moving forward? That's a huge one for me. Is sometimes when relationships end, Whitney, I feel like, fuck, man, you, you really, how could you have misjudged that person's character, right? Like, that's kind of a form of regret. And that can very much lead into, I think, worrying whether or not we can trust our intuition or our character assessment in whatever our next relationship might be. You know? Like, that's something I still sit with sometimes. It's like... Being afraid that I can't trust myself. The third point in here, uh, interestingly, is consider where your regret comes from. Thinking about what's causing your regret. People can feel regretful for a a litany of reasons. Um, There can be lifestyle. There's like five different categories. Lifestyle. People regret maybe moving to a different country or may wish they hadn't turned down a a house offer. Work. People may regret not following a different career path or pursuing their dreams in life. Uh, family is another category in this article. People may regret not settling disputes with a family member or friend, especially if that other person has passed away, or they may regret not spending more time with their children because they work too much or spending time with their older family members at the end of their lives. Children, people may regret starting a family. For example, maybe you started a family because you wanted to make your spouse's dream come true or make them happy. And then the last one is the category of marriage. People may regret getting married, the timing of their marriage, or their choice of partner. Some may regret even getting married at all. And this comes back to something you mentioned the other day, Whitney, on a previous episode of people coming out with more articles and books publicly talking about regretting having children, regretting parenthood. And I think if people were more honest with themselves, I think people regret a lot of shit. And they just don't speak about it publicly. I, I, I don't want to say everyone, but I think, I think to go back to what you said, I think admitting regret feels shameful in a lot of cases. Very shameful. God, I, you know what? I didn't really want these kids to begin with. I did it to please my partner. I didn't want to get married, but my family pressured me into doing it. I think, I think regret is a lot more common, and I think that a lot of people are terrified to admit that they've regretted these massive life decisions. Wouldn't you, would you agree with that assessment?
0: Perhaps, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky because now I'm trying to think of it in the terms of like what I was saying earlier. You know, in a recent episode, I was talking about getting the, vac- the COVID vaccine and it's like, what's the point of regretting it? I don't regret it, but let's just say in the future I do. Like what if something, you know, what if I'm, I don't know you know all these people that speculate long term health risks of of getting the vaccine which i don't know or believe to be true at the moment but what if they turn out to be true is it worth regretting something that i can't take back you know for some reason it flashed in my head as my brain's processing this um i think i was it was in the book stealing fire there was a conversation around like the human Drive to find pleasure and altered states of consciousness, and there's one example of I think people with uh doing wing suit jumps and how they be- they could become so addicted to the adrenaline and the way that their state changed when they were doing these dangerous activities and there's one story of these two guys that attempted this huge jump and they both were killed. And I remember listening to that thinking like, I wonder if in the split second before they died, if regret passed their mind or if maybe they don't even have a chance to process it, you know? And it's like, we have to trust that those guys knew the risk and made a decision and maybe in their heads, they might think, I might regret this, but like, you don't really know until something happens. And then at a certain point, you can't take it back. Like you can't like come back from death and be like, well, I regret doing that. I mean, like your brain just doesn't function that way. Right. So I know that's very different from regretting having kids, but it's a permanent decision that you make. I mean, I I guess in your circumstance with your father, Jason, like he was able to just leave, but that doesn't mean that he you don't exist, so he'll always be a father to you. He can't change that, but he made the decision to leave leave his responsibility as a father, and that's very different and i I'm sure there's plenty of cases of people doing this. I mean, I think there's a lot of Examples of parents regretting it and then taking some sort of action as a result of it that is probably not good for their kid, and that's really sad. But, but I would think that some of those people made a decision, as, to your point, to have ch- children, and others made a decision to have sex and not be as safe, or maybe they were as safe as they thought they might be. I mean, before. We recorded today, you and I were talking about the festival Lollapalooza that just ended in Chicago, and that's a whole nother story, but I am so curious to see how that pans out because there was 100,000 people at this outdoor music festival, and even though many of them were vaccinated, most of them weren't wearing masks, and we've recently saw saw some data about the transmission rates amongst vaccinated people and personally I would not make the decision to go to an event like that but you know let's just say I did like do I regret it like are people going to regret going to that event what would it cause what would it have to happen for someone to regret doing that you know and I wonder like, if any stories are going to come out. I did see one TikTok of a girl who was, after Lollapalooza, feeling so strongly about wearing masks. And she went on this whole rant on TikTok about how ridiculous it was that people weren't wearing masks. And she didn't really learn that lesson until she went to this big event. And again, that's like the consequences of it. But then another part of me thinks, well, maybe these people were believing what they were told by the CDC or by the mayor of their city who literally said it's perfectly fine to go to this festival. So how much of our decisions are based on information that doesn't support us? And it's like, do we get set up for disaster in some cases? You know, we've 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 seen so many actual disaster stories where like the one that comes to mind is uh, the ferry boat accident that happened. I think it was in like an Asian country um, where it was like a bunch of students were on this ferry and the ferry uh, sank and they were told to like remain inside the boat. Like, I think the if I remember this correctly, the captain of the boat or the workers on the boat were telling everyone to, like, not panic and stay where they were. And people died in the ship when, like, really, they would have benefited by trying to get out of it and save themselves. And it was one of those horrible things where, like, you know, these people were trying to respect authority and thinking that authority knew best for them, but it cost them their lives. So I think there's a lot of cases too, Jason, where like, sure, there's regret. But again, I go back to, did you make a decision thinking that you were safe? Did you make a decision having the wrong information? How far do you blame yourself for something? Or how much do you reflect on why, what led you up to that moment and how much of it was based in trust or ignorance? I would be willing to bet that the great majority of those cases, people felt in the moment that they were doing the right thing. Maybe they felt like they were doing the right thing by having sex and that's what got them pregnant. Maybe they thought that they were doing the same thing, uh, the right thing with the, the pr- sexual protection ne- they were using, or maybe they thought they were doing the right thing by having children, but they changed their mind later. And it's like, okay, but your former self, made this decision for a reason. And how much do you beat up your former self? What how does that serve you in the present moment? How does that serve others too? I guess that's the other question. Like when you and I specifically look at these stories of people regretting parenthood, it's like are we just attracted to them because we're trying to figure out whether or not we want to be parents? but like what does somebody else's decision to be a parent have to do with our decision to be a parent, you know? And I think sometimes the stories of regret are shown to like encourage other people to not make the same choices. So is that uh, is regret used against us in a lot of ways? I mean, I'm seeing this a lot right now in the news in terms of people getting sick from COVID and regretting not getting the vaccine. And every time I see them, I'm like, is the media trying to like convince people to get the vaccines and using other people's misfortune as a manipulation tactic? I don't know, but even though I decided to get the vaccine and I don't regret getting it and i bel- I see a lot of data showing that the vaccine makes sense from my perspective, it still makes me wonder when I see news stories like that, like how much of that is used to manipulate us and why are we using someone else's misfortune as a way to motivate somebody else to not make the quote same mistake it's like well what about what about what led that person why are we shaming someone for being vaccine hesitant you know like i think jason let's just say that you decided i'm sorry i mean uh let's say that you got covid and and you were like hey i regret not getting the vaccine how awful of a friend would i be to be like well i told you so like that's so shitty.
1: <laughs> I mean, we we would be over first of all, but I I know you wouldn't do that.
0: I might, but honestly, I might be tempted. Like I remember at the beginning stages of COVID, I had at least one friend who leaned towards believing that it was it was not real. Like this friend was was just like, "Oh, don't worry about it. Oh, it's just made up." Like they were so laid back about this. And there was part of me that hoped that some, this person would be impacted directly by COVID so that I could feel a sense of I told you so. I don't think I'm the type, type of person to usually say I told you so, but there was like this desire of wanting them to regret it, you know? So I think that's another part of this too. It's like that desire to prove someone wrong. I mean, I'll I'll admit it too. It comes up in me and I examine it. And I'm like, "Mm, that's a little messed up, Whitney. Maybe you should like shift your thinking. But I think many of us are conditioned into that mentality. I mean, again, I was raised with a lot of this mentality. I was raised with hearing phrases like, I told you so. I told you not to do it. Now you have to pay the consequences. You should regret your action. Like That was a big part of my upbringing. So, of course, those thoughts will still linger in my head sometimes. They're old ways of thinking for me. And I have to become aware of it and go, Would I want someone to say I told you so? Would I want someone to feel a little satisfaction if, if I did something that they thought was wrong and I messed up? You know, like a lot of us have that deep fear of like making a mistake and other people seeing it. Like, it's, we have so much shame in that. But at the same time, a lot of us love to see other people make mistakes. It's kind of messed up.
1: Well, I think the whole, the, the, the parenting part of this that you brought up and these messages you received as a child are probably really common. And I'd be willing to bet a lot of people are shaking their heads and can relate to this type of parenting communication style. But when I think about it, I think that it is – this kind of thing you describe, Whitney, is being done under the guise of like, I'm going to teach my child some life lessons they can use. But how I interpret it is a massive amount of narcissism and ego. I told you you shouldn't have done that. What did I tell you? See? Now, now, now look at what you got to deal with. It's like
0: – It's a control tactic.
1: For sure. And if you think about how – That parenting style meshes and merges with a lot of the educational style from teachers that we had. And I was thinking about this the other day, actually, in my kitchen. I was thinking about the teachers that really impacted my life. I mean, the ones that I recall that made a huge difference in my personal and creative and cognitive development throughout my life. And none of them had the approach we're talking about. They did not come to the classroom with this do as I, you know, do as I say, not as I do type of approach. And also this sort of punitive framework of, you know, if you fuck up, there's going to be a price to pay and you, you better learn. But really, if you think about from a parental perspective and you think about it from an educational perspective, and let's go a layer deeper, let's go to the religious perspective now of and I, I when i say this i am not throwing anyone particular under the bus but when you look at something like the 10 commandments or you look at the tenets in islam or you look at other religions there's a thread through of if you choose this action you will incur the wrath of god and if you incur the wrath of god let's look at the historical record plagues locusts, floods, the destruction of the world, uh, the killing of all the firstborn in Egypt. Like, from a biblical perspective, there's a framework of if you make God angry, you're going to pay.
0: Well, don't forget the the original sin, which is eating the apple from the tree.
1: The knowledge of good and evil, right?
0: You ate the apple, now you have to pay the price, and so does all of humanity. Like... I think Lennon Doyle talked about that in her book, Untamed and how it's like, that's such a messed up message. Like if he, the, the pressure and sometimes, sometimes the pressure causes us to do the exact thing somebody doesn't want us to do. I mean, it's such a classic thing with children. Like you tell them not to do something and a lot of them want to do it simply because you told them not to. So it's like I don't remember exactly how the Adam and Eve story goes. And again, it's not in my head; it's just a story. I, I know that other people have different beliefs on the on the Bible, so it's not a offense, or that's not what I intend it to be. But it just seems bizarre to me that a lot of the messaging that's in those stories. And if you internalize that messaging, I think that it can do a lot of damage. And I think back, I actually had a lot of uh, very religious nannies and I remember some like just the subtle energy behind their care tactics and how as a little kid, I either felt afraid or I felt, like, very deeply uncomfortable. Like, this doesn't feel right to me, even as a little child. Like, I just remember not wanting to be around those nannies, you know? And that's interesting, too, because if you reflect back on what you felt as a child, it tells you a lot. But as kids, many of us are conditioned to not – we're conditioned to ignore those feelings. It's like, well, this is your nanny and your nanny knows best. So you got to go with whatever the nanny says. And yeah, I, <laughs> this is like bringing me down. I'm like go- going through in my head all the different nannies I had and how a few of them were very, very religious and said or did some kind of messed up shit to me as a little kid and it's like my parents both grew up in religious households but neither of them continued to go to church or they didn't place much emphasis i wasn't raised with a lot of religion it was more like the undertone of it but my mom would say things to me jason like god god's punishing you like if if i did something and messed up oh yeah that phrase was big time when i was a little kid it's like well god's punishing you if i did something quote bad and then i tripped and fell, that's a response that my mom would say to me. (laughs) I'm laughing at Jason's facial expression. Yeah. That was like, and I think my nannies might've said that to me as well, but that was how my mom was raised, you know? And so she, she, I don't know if she believed it or if that was like her way of like taking out her responsibility. Like I'm not punishing you, Whitney, but God's punishing you. For your actions, so you better not do it again because you'll just continue to get punished. So, I think I just maybe that's why I felt uncomfortable around religion because I was like, I don't want to be punished, but I also just want to live my life and like I don't want to feel like every mistake is looming over my head as a as a punishment.
1: So, this was the exact reason as a young man went to my mother and said, "I don't want to go to church anymore." This was the exact reason. Because I was raised in a, a Catholic family on both sides. My mom's side, well, we learned later that I'm Ashkenazi Jew, but we didn't grow up in the religion of Judaism. We grew up in a Catholic family, okay? So on that side of my mom, Polish, Italian, we learned later again, Ashkenazi Jew, Catholic. My dad's side, Puerto Rican Spanish, also Catholic, right? So Catholicism was the dominant religion of my entire life and my entire family. But I remember as a kid going to church and going to Bible class. I went to Sunday school, attended religiously, pun intended. And I remember digging into parts of the Bible and going, I remember having conversations with my mom, like, wait a second. In this part of the Bible, it says God is all loving, all generous, all protecting. God loves you. But in this part of the Bible, he's... Killing a bunch of people and he's punishing people. So how I remember in my young, my young mind going, How is this compatible? If, on one hand, God loves you, God sees you, he sees everything you do, yada yada, but if you do something against his will, he will destroy you. Like to me, that didn't make sense, and that wasn't compatible. And it seems that that archetype informs a lot of people's parenting styles doesn't it? I love you. I care for you. But if you piss me off or do something wrong, I'm going to punish you, right? I'm going to spank you. I'm going to be physically violent with you. I'm going to, and and I'm not to say, this is not to say that I don't think boundaries and structure and rules are a bad thing when it comes to a parent-child relationship. I think children absolutely need a sense of ethics and structure, But the confusing part is this thing you kind of detailed with your mom's language of, see, God's punishing you. That's a very dangerous thing, I think, to, you know, inject into a child's consciousness. Because then I think we go through our lives potentially fearing choosing something that maybe we feel is right to do, but we fear being punished by God, universe, spirit, whatever your belief systems are. That can take decades to undo. Decades to undo this. And I think what it does is, I mean, this is my personal belief. I think that Many of the tenets of organized religion and the reason that I left the Catholic Church and the reason I left Catholic religion was I started to identify, in my opinion, there were a lot of mechanisms of control I did not agree with. Didn't agree with them. And I said, you know what? My heart, my spirit says something is wrong about this and I don't agree with it. And again, you know, we look at capitalism. We look at the educational system. I think there are a lot of systems, Whitney, that are designed to control people. I mean, didn't – yeah, Marx, I think, said, you know, religion is the opiate of the masses. I'm not throwing all religions under the bus when I say that, but I do think in a lot of central organized religions that have billions of dollars, I mean, we really look at the power of certain religions. They're very wealthy. I think part of their central agenda is to control people, control their minds and control their behavior. Because if people were not afraid, well, guess what? If people aren't afraid, you can't control a person who's unafraid, can you? And what's the ultimate form of control? Damnation. Well, if you keep doing this, you're going to go to a place called hell and you're going to burn for eternity. I can't even conceptualize that burn for all eternity. My mind can't even wrap around that. Holy shit. That sounds scary as fuck. I better not do that thing. I better not do that thing or my soul is going to burn for eternity. Fuck. That sounds crazy. I'm not throw for any listeners out there. I'm not saying you're wrong. If you are a religious person, if you're Catholic, I'm not saying you're wrong. This is my opinion. I realized as a young man, I didn't agree with these. I felt they were manipulation tactics, and I still do. That's my opinion. It's okay if you're religious. I wholeheartedly disagree with you, and that's okay. We can disagree with each other. But if we go back to shame, we go back to regret. I think that in some ways, Whitney, these are, to your point, learned behaviors from childhood, from parents, education, and religion. We learn to be shameful. We learn to have regrets. And in some ways, shame and regret can hold us back from living a full life because we're afraid of being shamed. We're we're afraid of being talked down to. We're afraid of eternal damnation. I mean, fuck, when you get into it, If you are a human being who is doing work on your psychology and your spirit as you get older, there's a lot to undo. It's almost overwhelming at times. Truly.
0: (laughs) Well, it makes me feel like there is room for a more modern take on a lot of these things. It reminded me of a book I read when I was embracing Christianity For one of the strongest periods of my life, just a few, well, not, I guess it wasn't a few years ago. It was in 2016 to 2017. I went, I was going to church. I was very active with my church. And I really enjoyed elements of that experience. And one of the things that I did was go to a talk by this woman, Christine Kane. And she, at the time, was promoting her new book called Unashamed. And I really resonated with a lot of the things that she said. I don't remember all of it, but it was about being an unashamed Christian and and not being hyper-focused on shame within your religion. That's my current uh, viewpoint on it. And I do believe that there are approaches to religion that don't have to integrate all of these things. And I, I don't think that there's a blanket statement for what it means to be religious, to believe in God, to go to church, to, you know, integrate that in your life, you know. And and so I'm grateful that there are people out there speaking about this and finding ways to take a different approach, you know. And so to your point, Jason, it, it there it's it's just Currently does not feel good to us, but maybe it doesn't feel good to us because of some of our old traumas and our parents' traumas, you know, and and the way that they interpreted the Bible and how they brought that into their parenting, or how our teachers did, or you know, people around us. Like that that's what's tricky about religious viewpoints is it's it's got a lot to do with who you're around and the experience. And of course, like Catholicism has had some really awful things go on in it that they were able to get away with because of the veil of religion. And, you know, that's a whole nother subject matter. So there's definitely flaws in the religious systems and people take advantage of it just because you're religious doesn't mean that you're doing the right thing. But I think that there's so many ways to have that, deeper belief and in, in relationship with God that don't have to abide by these harmful rules and systems. So I think that's an important part of this conversation too. It's, it's not, it's not super easy and everybody's, I deep down believe that everybody, if not maybe just most people are truly doing the best that they can based on what they know and the tools that they have. And it's really hard to get by in this world without harming somebody else. And so sometimes we regret things, but we have to recognize like if we're doing the best that we can, maybe there wasn't another option. I mean, that reminds me of um, there's this psychological test where, and I don't remember all the details of it, but I remember the visuals where people were studied by being asked the question, whose life would you save if there was a like a runaway train and you could flip a switch and the switch would either run over children or run over one adult. And the person would have to decide, like they know that they have to kill someone, but they have to make the decision whose life is is worth it. And I don't remember the outcome of that exact study, but I do believe that that's a test that they use to understand somebody's mental state. And it's like, oof, that's tough. You know, like sometimes we have to make decisions at the cost of somebody else or someone else, or sometimes at the cost of ourselves. And even though we were doing the very best that we could, we could live with so much shame and regret because we've been conditioned to do no harm, but sometimes harm is unavoidable. And sometimes harm is, comes in forms that we have zero control over. So that's, I guess my big belief on all of this is regret's a really challenging thing that I don't believe serves us very much.
1: That's well said, Whitney. And for you, dear listener, as we always do in our episodes here on This Might Get Uncomfortable, we have more resources for you to dig into coping mechanisms if you feel regret in your life. I mentioned a really interesting article on WikiHow earlier, and also another one on psychology today. We will link to both of those articles in our website show notes. You can find those at wellevator.com. Our website is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Click on the podcast section. It will take you to the show notes and the transcript for this episode and all of our 250 plus episodes prior to this one. We will also have links to our private podcast. Whitney mentioned at the beginning of this episode called This Hits the Spot. It's a weekly summary into our favorite new products, services, books, resources, things we're using in our lives on a regular basis to make us feel better and improve our health and our mental wellness. So if you haven't checked that out yet, that is free to our newsletter subscribers, which you can also subscribe to our newsletter at welllevator.com. And we have a video version and also a transcript link with all of the products we talk about on that show for our Patreon members. If you are a patron, you can do that for as little as $2 a month. We have some incredible human beings. We absolutely adore you and appreciate you for helping this podcast keep going. And also this hits the spot. So all those goodies will be again at wellevator.com. And if you want to shoot us a direct email with any questions or comments or reflections on the things we talk about here on the podcast, you can shoot Whitney and myself a direct email to Hello at WellEvator.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable. We hope this has given you some food for thought and food for heart. And we will catch you with another episode of the podcast very soon. Thanks for tuning in.